the people that you would look to to say, these are the spiritual people among us. And yet time and time again, the Lord says things like this to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tomb, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead man's bones and every impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is just getting started. Luke chapter 11, verse 39, he says it this way. Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools! Didn't he who make the outside make the inside too? It wasn't that Jesus was against the Pharisees' outward conscientiousness. He wasn't telling them that they were wrong for trying to be careful in keeping the law. He simply wanted them to see that this outward religiousness alone was not enough. Luke eleven forty two. 42, he says it very succinctly. But woe to you, Pharisees. You give a tenth of mint and rue and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. Notice this statement. These things you should have done. Like, hey, good job. I'm glad you're really trying to keep the law. I'm glad you're really trying to be obedient, but you shouldn't have neglected the others as well. In other words, Jesus is not satisfied with merely compliant actions. He wants transformed hearts. That's what Jesus is after. Jesus is not satisfied merely when we have compliant actions. He wants our religion to go deeper than what we do. He wants it to impact fundamentally who we are. But before we're too hard on the religious leaders of Jesus' day, we need to recognize that all of us have a little Pharisee in us, don't we? Come on now, right? We all got a little Pharisee in our heart. That is, at times, we would like to relate to God like like our relation, we would like our relationship to God to be like our relationship with our computer. You say, what do you mean by that, Ryan? Well, let me explain. You know, when I sit down at my computer, it doesn't matter how I'm feeling. It doesn't matter the condition of my heart. It doesn't matter my motives. If I hit the keys, E-N-C-Y-C-L-O-P-E-D-I-A, what's going to appear on the screen? You're like, I can't spell that well. The word is encyclopedia. I just punch the keys, doesn't matter what's going on internally, bloop, out it comes. If I hit the print, doesn't matter my motivation, doesn't matter what I'm printing, if I hit the print key, I expect to walk over to the printer and there to be a piece of paper on there. Isn't that what the Pharisees were doing in one sense? They were like, if I put money in the offering plate, I want God to be pleased with me. Doesn't matter what's going on in my heart. If I quote this scripture or read this passage or memorize the Bible, as long as I do this thing, it doesn't really matter how it affects my heart. As long as I do this external outward thing, then God must be pleased with me. We can do the same thing too, can't we? We can go to church, read the Bible, give in the offering, even serve in the community. Well, at the same time, exactly while we are doing those acts, you could be here this morning, sitting in your seat, looking outwardly pious, 
and your heart be as far from, the God, from God as it possibly can be. Listen, if we want to practice true religion, there is more to it than just doing these out external things. If you can be the Godfather and murder and kill and steal and extort and be outward religious, then certainly we can pull off the same kind of thing by just coming into church and thinking that we're okay. We need to have true religion, which means that our religion goes beyond just our outside actions. And James, knowing this tendency of our heart, issues this very weighty warning. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, then his religion is, what does it say? His religion is, one more time, his religion is, and he deceives himself. Man, Ooh, that's a stinger. Like Jesus, James is saying that there is a way for our religious activities to be completely, what's the word? Useless. Wow. Think about it for a moment. Jesus does not say this type of religion is mistaken. He doesn't say this type of religion is unwise. He doesn't say this type of religion is flawed. Certainly is all those things, but the word that James uses here is useless. And this is just not a matter of translation. Other translations say things like worthless or vain or empty. The point is that if our religion only extends to our actions in the eyes of God, it is utterly useless. And it actually gets worse. Here's the kicker. You can find yourself in this state of useless religion and not even know about it. Look at verse 26 again. His religion is useless and he deceives himself. You think the Pharisees thought their religion was useless, yes or no? no. They thought they were pleasing God. They thought God was happy with them. They had deceived themselves. You know the story of the emperor's new clothes, right? So there's this emperor, a very proud dude, and in come these tailors. And they say, oh, king, we have a deal for you. We can make the finest, the most extravagant set of clothes known to man. And it's got this special quality. People that are stupid, people that are incompetent, People that aren't as good as they should be can't see it. The thing is, the tailors couldn't do that. They were con men. So they pretended to make this garment. And they come and they, the emperor comes in. And they say, ooh, king, you got to try this on. They pretend to put it on. And the king can't see it because it's not there. He can't see it at all. But he's so embarrassed. He's so proud that he can't admit it. And so what does he do? He goes parading through the town, wearing nothing, and deceiving himself into believing that he has something on. Brothers and sisters, man, we don't want to fall into the same error. Walking around with this useless religion that doesn't please God and deceiving ourselves into thinking, man, I got clothes on when you're naked as a jaybird. 
There is a danger for us all, and that is the warning that James gives us. So you say, okay, all right, I hear you. Well, what do we need to do? Well, here's my point this morning. I think it's James' point. He's simply saying, he's warning us about this useless religion, and he's telling us we need to strive to be truly religious. That's what he's really trying to encourage us to do. Practice true religion. Strive to be truly religious. Now, sometimes we hear that word religion today, and it's used negatively, like uh, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I get where people are going with that. But here in this passage, James is not using the word religion negatively. He's simply saying that there is a way to be truly religious, purely religious, and there is also a way to have religion that is absolutely, completely useless. And all of us should strive to be truly religious. So what does that mean? How do we elude the self-deception that James warns us about? Do we pack as many rituals and ceremonies into our lives as possible? No, I, I don't think that's what he's driving at. How do we avoid strutting around in our fine religious appearing clothes when really we are naked? Fortunately, our text today answers that question. For not only does James caution us against useless religion, but he actually gives us the characteristics of true religion. And that's what I want to show you this morning. Three things this morning from James that tell us what true religion in our life really looks like. So three things. The characteristics of true religion. Number one, measured speech. That's the first characteristic of true religion. It seems a little mundane, but that's what James says. Look again at the verse. If anyone thinks he is religious without, what's the word say? Controlling his tongue. His religion is useless. If an uncontrolled tongue is a characteristic of useless religion, then it follows that a measured or controlled speech would be the characteristic of true religion. And time and time again, the Bible emphasizes the importance of what we say. I mean, this is a massive theme in the scripture. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. The one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. For the one who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. So why so much emphasis on the way we talk? Is the Lord just some sort of uptight curmudgeon? No, the Bible repeatedly calls us to pay attention to our speech because our words, listen to this very clearly, our words are a clear indication of what is going on in our heart. Your words tell us infallibly what is going on in your heart? Here's how the Lord himself says it. Luke chapter 10, verse 45. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Friends, <laughs> there is an unbreakable connection between your heart and your mouth. It's unbreakable. There is an unbreakable breakable connection between your heart and your mouth or to put it another way what you say reveals what you are what comes out of your mouth 
reveals what is going on in your heart. Now, how many of you have some sort of an indicator light on your dashboard, right? So if your oil light comes on or check engine light comes on, the key is not to take out a sticky note, cover up that light and say, well, problem solved. No, the indicator light is to indicate that something is going on under the hood. And listen, our words are indicator lights. What comes out of your mouth will tell you what is going on under the hood as it were. What spills out of your lips tells you where your heart is going. Now listen to this very carefully. Why does God care so much then about our words? God cares about our words because he cares about our hearts. God's not just kind of randomly giving this like, hey, watch what you say because he's all uptight or something. He's saying, I care about the way you speak because the way you speak shows what's going on in here. And that is what really matters to me. If you want true religion, you need to watch the way you speak because a transformed mouth is an indication of a transformed heart. So think about this for a minute. If you could play back a typical week's worth of your words, And is it, does, does, that like, does that like scare anybody but me? Like if every one of your words this week were recorded and played back for you, what would you hear? Yelling at your family members? Gossip in the break room? Complaints on your social media? And we can go look those up, by the way. Manipulation? of your coworkers, crude remarks with your friends, if these are the marks of your speech, if your tongue is loose, if your tongue is not controlled, if your speech is not measured, it is not just, that's the way I am, or I was brought up that way. James brings a very stern warning and he says, listen, if you're not controlling your tongue, don't think your religion is worth anything because an uncontrolled tongue is evidence of an unchanged heart. A transformed heart will inevitably result in measured speech. Brothers and sisters, our speech, our speech is so important because it reveals not what is coming out of our mouth so much as what is going on in here. And God cares about that because frankly, he cares about you. Watch what you say because your sayings are an overflow. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Number two. Second characteristic that James gives us here is sacrificial compassion. Look at verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. What? Why does James say this here? Out of all the things he could have said, right? Like, stop and think about it. So here explicitly in this verse, he says, true religion 
The characteristics of true religion is to look after the widows and the orphans. He could have said anything he wanted. He could have said, go to the mission field, pursue a seminary education, give away all your possessions. And yet he chooses to say, true religion, the mark of it is to look after the orphans and the widows. At first glance, at least to me, it seems a little bit random. Like, did you just pull that out of your hat, James? Of course, that's a good thing to do, but why is that the characteristic of true religion that you spell out in the Bible? Here's my theory. I think James draws our attention to this particular example because when you show compassion for the distressed and the powerless, like widows and orphans, it is one of the clearest illustrations that your religion has made it all the way into your heart. Why? Because widows and orphans can't really pay you back. When you serve those who are powerless and distressed, it is evidence that you're not trying to get something out of them, so to speak, because they don't have anything to give to you. Jesus says it this way over in Luke chapter 14. Listen to the concept. When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. You could throw in the widows, the orphans. I think that's the principle here. Why? And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Listen, compassion for the vulnerable is an expression of faith that God is the rewarder. You know why Christians should love people that are hurting? You know why Christians should love people that are vulnerable? You know why Christians should be concerned about the distressed? Because we believe God. We trust that everything that we do for them will be rewarded by the one who cares for them. When you show compassion, sacrificial compassion to those who can't pay you back, you begin to show that your heart has been transformed. Anybody can invite their rich neighbor over for dinner. Anybody can greet those who greet them, Jesus says. Anybody can love those who love them, but if you have real religion, your heart has been transformed and you begin to say, I want to show the compassion to those who need it most and those who can't do anything to repay me. I will give it to them because I know that God sees and God cares and that God rewards. Listen, truly religious people are not motivated by you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. True religious people are not motivated by what can I get out of this mentality. They act ultimately because they love and trust God. Listen to this, friends. I want to say this very kindly, but I want to say it very forcefully. There ought to be an inexplicable quality to every Christian's life. In other words, you ought to do things that people say. What's the deal? Why do they act like that? Why are they so generous? Why are they so merciful? Why do they let those people into their life? Why are they so kind? Why are they always bending over backwards to be a blessing to the most hurting and the most vulnerable? Why do they act like that? I don't get it. 
Well, when your heart is transformed, that's just a natural overflow. Sacrificial compassion is a characteristic of true religion. So listen to me very carefully this morning. Are there inexplicable acts of sacrifice and compassion in your life? Are there things that you do that just don't make sense if you take Jesus out of the equation? Do you take time to serve those who can't pay you back? Do you show care to the marginalized and the isolated? Do you sacrifice resting that God sees and God rewards? Are you generous? Are you sacrificially generous because you believe that God is the rewarder for those who diligently seek him? Those who practice true religion are motivated by factors that are incomprehensible to the unspiritual eye because their actions are simply evidence of a transformed heart. Let me say it this way. Let's all ask ourselves this question. Is there evidence in your life that your religion is more than a skin deep? Can people see from the way you act, from the things that you do, that your religion is not just about some sort of external actions, but it has deeply penetrated into your heart. Is your religion true? Number three, personal holiness. The third characteristic of true religion is personal holiness. Woo! Now James is not pulling punches in this passage. Look again at verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Personal holiness is just another way of saying that we are consistently fighting against the pull of temptation and striving to live a life marked by obedience to God. That's what I mean by personal holiness. That's what the Bible means by personal holiness. You are consistently fighting temptation in your life and you are seeking to live a life in obedience to the Lord. I believe this is a vital, vital word for us this morning. Here's why. In our current cultural setting, there are aspects of the Christian faith that the world actually applauds. Have you noticed that? There are certain things that Christians should be about that the world actually today, those that don't know Jesus, actually appreciate and <coughs> applaud. Let me give you a couple examples of that. We as Christians believe that Christ died for all kinds of people, amen? That's weak. <laughs> we believe that Christ died for all kinds of people. Amen. Amen. That was better. Okay, good. Glad you're awake now. Christ died for all kinds of people. And therefore, you know, at Gospel Hope, we have a church that's diverse racially and socioeconomically and all kinds of different diversities. Does the world celebrate diversity right now? Yes, they sure do. I mean, it's on everybody's radar. So in one sense... The world celebrates the same thing that we celebrate. Uh, we as Christians believe that compassion is a high virtue. You know that I heard recently today that there are more charitable donations today than there ever has been in the world. Is the world about charity today? Yes or no? Yeah. I mean, there are, there are nonprofits pop popping up everywhere. And so in one sense, the world applauds that we want compassion for the hurting, for the marginalized. The world applauds that. 
We as Christians believe that change is possible for everyone. Yeah, you guys are terrible, really. I mean, really terrible. Change is possible for everyone. Okay, how do you say We need to get like one of those signs, like, amen. Yeah, Is the world right now, is that a message that the world likes as well? Is hope a big deal in our, in our world right now? I mean, President Obama won with a campaign of hope, right? I mean, that, that hit on something deep in people. So the world sometimes applauds what the church is about. We may define it slightly different, but sometimes there is an instance and they're like, diversity, you're for that, we're for that. Compassion, you're for that, we're for that. Hope, you're for that, we're for that. But holiness, does the world stand up and applaud holiness? Yes or no? No. Don't say amen. Say, oh me. Not at all. You want to be unpopular? You start talking about right and wrong. The truth. You talk about the way to do things. You want to be unpopular? You start talking about God as the ultimate authority. You want to be unpopular in the world today? You start talking about you don't have the right to choose your own way. God is the one in charge of that. And that's really what holiness is. Holiness is saying, I'm going to turn away from the temptations of the world. I'm going to turn away from the world's way. I'm going to repent of what the sin is in my heart. And I'm going to follow God. He gets to call the shots. He gets to determine right and wrong. He gets to be the one that tells me how to live. He is the anti-Blues Clues. You cannot do anything that you want to do. You must follow the Lord if you are to practice true religion. And yet, in this passage and in other places of the Bible, holiness is an indispensable mark of true religion. Why? Why is that the case? Because when you are committed to living a holy life, you are showing that you value something more than the path of least resistance, right? The world says, do what you want to do, be your own man, determine your own destiny. But holiness, biblical holiness says you've got to follow the Lord. And you're like, you know what? This would be a whole lot easier. But my heart is so transformed by what Jesus has done on my behalf that I'm actually going to go the hard way. I think that's why he highlights this as being a mark of true religion, because it is evidence. It is evidence of an internal change. So here's the question. Are you fighting to keep yourself unstained from the world? Those are James' words. True religion is to watch the widows and the orphan. We're like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we love the marginalized. We love those people. We want to take care of them. Oh, yeah. And keep yourself unstained from the world. There's this external compassion that you need to show, yes, but there's also this internal transformation that needs to be evidenced in the way in which you live. Are you battling the pull of lust by guarding what you look at and the thoughts you entertain? Are you at war, war with greed and materialism by giving God your first and your best? 
Are you putting to death anger in your life by consistently seeking forgiveness and meditating on the kindness of God? Do you hold grudges? Are you bitter? It's not holy. Would holy be a word that describes you? Not perfectly, but accurately. Go ahead, go ahead. Picture your loved one or your coworker saying this phrase. Insert your name. Everybody say your name right now. Is a holy person. Do it again. Insert your name. Is a holy person. Does that ring true to you? It should. Not perfect. God doesn't expect perfection. There's only one perfectly holy person, and that was Jesus Christ. But God does expect your life to be, God does expect you to be keeping yourself unstained from the world, fighting, fighting temptation in your life. And if that statement doesn't ring true to you, then let's go back to what James says, then your religion might be useless. Brothers and sisters, there are, there are many good things going on in the church at large of Jesus Christ today, and I am so happy for some of those emphases. Church planning, I am ecstatic about the emphasis there. International missions and reaching the unreached peoples of the world, I am ecstatic about that. Um, the giving that is going on in many churches, I am ecstatic about that. But when I look around the church context, you know what breaks my heart? And I think far more breaks the Lord's heart is we don't care about holiness. Now, I don't mean a bunch of rules. If you know me, you know that. But I do mean that our hearts are so transformed that it shows in what we say, shows in how we live. And, it, and there's actually things we say no to because we say that doesn't please the Lord and I want to keep myself unstained from the world. Those who have authentically encountered Jesus will inevitably, inevitably, inevitably hate sin. God can't come in and be king of your heart and of your life and you not begin to develop a disdain for sin. If you love God, you will love the things that he loves and you will begin to hate the things that he hates. Uh, let me give you an example of this from my life. So, I, many of you know, I, I, I grew up playing basketball, I played basketball in high school and college, and so I was a fairly competitive individual. So I remember uh, occasionally uh, when I was playing in high school and college that, you know, it, if I felt that my game was superior to the person that I was playing against, I would like to just kind of, you know, subtly remind them of that. Um, using very subtle. I, I like kind of the refined junk talking, like, uh, you know, so I would talk some junk every now and again. Uh, just remind them that you cannot guard me. I just want to make that clear to you. You're attempting to guard me. It's futile. Maybe you should guard someone else. Something like that, right? So... I remember doing that every now and again, and while I was in college, the Lord really began to work in my heart about particularly pride. Like, just that was an area where the Lord was just kind of raking me over the coals, showing me how arrogant of a person that I was. And I remember it was off season, we were playing a pickup game in the gym. It was pretty intense game. It was going back and forth. And you know, I did something nasty, you know, whatever. And um, 
scored a basket, and just bleh, out came some statement to this guy that was guarding me. Like just, it just like flew out of there. Very little thought about it, just flew. And I remember turning around and going up the court and I just stopped. And I was like, gross. What just, what was that? And I, I turned around and I apologized to the guy. I was like, man, I'm sorry. That was just really rude. Please forgive me. But you know what's happening? Jesus was exerting his kingship in my life. And I can't, I can't walk with Jesus and deepen in my relationship with him and not be unchanged. That's what holiness really is. It's he's king and he gets to get more and more territory in your life. And you begin to not only love what he loves, compassion and justice, but you always also begin to hate the things he hates, namely sin and pride and foolishness. And God was doing something in me to say, listen, Ryan, I'm king. And if you want your religion to be more than skin deep, it has to go down into your heart and it will begin to affect your attitude towards sin. And now today, I really do. I don't talk and I hate it when anything slips out because it is evidence in my heart of pride and selfishness. And I love Jesus and I don't want to displease him. Brothers and sisters, part of true religion is that we pursue holiness in our life. Now, one more word about this. Let's make sure that we don't get this mistaken. Though living a godly life, though being holy is critical, it is not what saves us. You are not saved by what you do. Living a holy life does not save you, but reveals that you have been saved. These are evidences. These are characteristics. And if they're not present in your life, then they should concern you. But you cannot clean up your act and make yourself right with God. You need God to clean up your heart, and then that will clean up your act. Does that make sense? It's heart transformation first. And these are evidences that we have encountered the living God. One theologian put it this way. On the last day, God will not acquit us because our good works were good enough. But he will look for evidence that our good confession was not phony. It's in this sense that we must be holy. Has your religion so transformed you? So changed you? that you are willing to say no to the things that will make you, or say, say no to things that will make you unpopular? Are you willing to say, people might not understand this, people not, may not like it, but I've been so transformed by the work of Jesus in my heart that I am willing to turn away from sin in all my life. So where does this all leave us? You may hear this and say, Ryan, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I, I, I don't want my religion to be a merely external affair. How, how do I know that both my heart and my actions have been truly changed by Jesus? I, I don't want to be like the Pharisees. I don't want to be self-deceived. I don't want to be the Godfather. How do I ensure or how can I have confidence that my religion is more than skin deep? 
I think James actually helps us with this question a couple of verses earlier. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now notice a couple things here. First, even though the word is already implanted in us, so I think this is talking to believers. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word. It, it's past tense in one sense. Even though it's already implanted in us, we are to keep on receiving it. Think of an acorn that goes down into the soil and its roots begin to go and a sapling starts to take root. Does that, at that point, it's a little sapling, it's received the seed, at that point, is it okay for the soil to stop receiving the, the seed? Yes or no? No. No. That soil needs to keep on and keep on and keep on receiving the seed and letting the roots go deeper and deeper and penetrate further and further. As believers, there is never a time where we need to stop receiving the word. If you have trusted in Jesus, you need to receive what God has done for you in order to become a Christian and in order to grow and live in true religion. You need to keep on receiving. It's not as if you walk down an aisle or sign a card or get baptized or pray a prayer and then you're all done receiving. No, we keep on receiving the implanted word and in doing so, we ensure that religion is pure. It's not just an external affair. The text also says that in receiving the word, it is able to save your souls. What I think that means is if you trusted in the work of Jesus on, on your behalf, Jesus has saved you, he is saving you, and he will keep on saving you to the very end. If you believe that the work of Christ was enough to save you that first day when you trusted in him, here's my question for you. Do you believe it's good enough to save you today? And will you believe on your dying day that it is still good enough to save you? We never move on from what Jesus has done on our behalf. We never outgrow our need to be rescued by Christ. If you long to practice pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father, you need to keep receiving from him. That's the amazing thing about true religion. True religion is not about what you do for God, but about what God has done for you. It always has been, it always will be. God is not impressed by your actions, but he does desire to change your heart. If you want to be a person that practices true religion, here's the key, trust the gospel. Believe that Jesus can change you fundamentally from the inside out. As the worship team comes and also as the prayer team makes their way to the sides, I want to close with just a simple story and then kind of a call to action here. As a parent, um, we get to correct our kids quite often. Um, frankly, because I have like a thousand children. So the need for correction arises all the time. And there, there's a very kind of regular occurring conversation that goes on between me and my children. It goes to something like this. Hey, this is me speaking. 
Was that kind to your sibling? Kid? No. It wasn't. Dad? Hey, son? Daughter? Now what? What's that say about your heart? And usually, because they're trained in it, they'll say something like this. Well, Daddy, I have an unkind heart. Who can help you? God? What, what did he do to help you? He sent Jesus to die and to give me a new heart. Will he help you right now? Will he help you be kind? Will he help you ask forgiveness? Yes, Daddy, that's, that's why Jesus came. As I was thinking about that, I was like, man, really that's a conversation many of us need to have with our Heavenly Father today, isn't it? Maybe you see the shallowness of your religion because you're speaking angry words or your life is marked with selfishness or you haven't resisted the world temptation. Maybe there's some area in your heart where you're like, man, my religion just feels kind of useless. Won't you talk to God right now? Won't you talk to him just like that right now? Lord, man, I want to please you, but my heart is so bad. My tongue is, is, is out of control. I, I'm not compassionate or selfless. I'm really selfish. I don't keep myself free from temptation. I go running after temptation like it's an ice cream truck. Lord, I don't want to be like that, though. But Lord, what this is showing me is that, that, that my heart's bad. I don't need more rituals. I don't need new ceremonies. Lord, I need you to transform me from the inside out. I need a new heart. I need to receive from you. I need to be changed by you. I mean, you can tell me to stop doing those things, but I won't stop doing them unless you do something to me, not just tell me to do something. Lord, please, please transform me from the inside out. I need you. And that is why you sent your son to die on the cross. You didn't just die to, to rescue me one day. You died to rescue me here. The gospel is not just a then and there message. It is a here and now message. And just as I needed to be rescued from my sin so I wouldn't get, go to hell, I need to be rescued from sin so I wouldn't live a debauched life today. Lord, rescue me. Please, Heavenly Father, rescue me from my lust. Rescue me from my pride. Rescue me from my greed. Rescue me from my anger. Rescue me from my unkindness. Lord, would you rescue me today? That's why Jesus come. I don't want to be a phony. I want my religion to be true. And the only way it's going to be true is if my heart is transformed. I want to love the widow. I want to love the orphan. I want to love those who can't pay me back, Lord. I want the words that spill out of my mouth to be filled with grace. I want to build up my wife. I want to build up my kids, not tear them down. I don't want to be the, the, the lunchroom gossip. I want to be the person that speaks encouragement. Lord, would you change me? Would you help me? Would you come? And just like I say to my kids, will the Lord, will the Lord help you? Yes, Daddy. Church, 
the Lord help you? He stands ready and willing right now. What more can he do to show that he is willing to help you? He already sent his son to die on the cross. He is ready to help you. Simply cry out to him and ask. So here's my closing application this morning. It's simply this. Man, would you just talk to God? Have a conversation with your heavenly father. I don't know what the area in your heart that God may be showing you, but would you just talk to him today? Our prayer team is standing by. If you'd like to pray with somebody, man, they would love to just intercede with you and pray for you and pray over you. Or if you'd like to pray in your seats, you're more than welcome to do that. But as we worship the Lord as we close this morning, would you have a conversation with the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want to be phony. I don't want to be Pharisee. I want to practice true religion that is acceptable to God. Would you help me to do that? And thank you that you've done all that is necessary to rescue me from my useless religion, my sin in your son to die on the cross for me. Would you stand together and let's worship the Lord together. Please take advantage of the prayer team and worship God.